Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. My name is Alex Magleby, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks, Boston's professional rugby team, and I am your full contact CEO. Today, I get to talk with Nate Ebner, three-time Super Bowl champion, cap national team U.S. rugby player, Olympian, and one of my co-owners of the Free Jacks. We're talking about an NFL champion sports journey, the importance of culture in building a winning franchise. Balancing being a professional athlete and having a personal life. Nate, welcome. It's great to have you. Um, Thank you for having me, man. How are you doing? How's training? Like, what are you what are you doing right now? Um, right now it's like you said, training. It's finding private gyms, pretty much that you can go to. Where um, you know, typically my off seasons would consist of going to Ohio State while I'm here in Columbus and training at the football facility there because they've got everything you need, but. Um, the restrictions have been so strong and uh, lately like that's that's a no-go so you know luckily I've got some people that have some private places I can go to with equipment and uh, buddy's got a pretty good setup at his house so we'll get the weights in there and uh, you know I know some some high school ADs around the area uh, some of the schools like Hilliard there's a couple of Hilliard uh, schools and uh, I can go to those fields and get some work in uh, luckily, I can call them and they can just get me on. We've jumped a couple fences, you know, to get some stairs and uh, some other field work in. But, uh, you know, got to do what you got to do to get the training in. Going to, trying, to, trying to jump a fence and go into a swimming pool back in the day. Yeah. So, now you've, been, you've been around a lot of different programs and winning teams and, te- and teams that have struggled a bit. Um, your experience now kind of capturing a lot of the, the lessons and the environments you've been in and, and where success has really happened, performance really happened. Are there some things that really stand out that, that you're like, you know what, that existed at every one or they're all different and here's some of the things that, that I've taken away that I look forward to taking away into my journey ahead or? Um, cutting a little on me, but I, I think I got the gist of what you're asking. Uh, you know, the environment, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the environments that, you know, I've been a part of, I've been, I've been lucky to have been a part of pretty much as professional as it gets in a, in a college university as, as Ohio State goes. Not only being a part of a winning program like that, but just kind of a prof- professional uh, organization that's in college. You know, nothing's, it's, it's almost an advantage to go to a school like that when you're trying to go to play the next level in a professional league because you're at such a professional college program. Uh, that's run very similar to what these professional teams are like, but you don't, there's not many college programs like that. So in college, you've got NCAA rule violations. So, you know, there's X, I mean, they're going to use every second of those, those time frames. but um, you know, I would try to get all my classes done by noon. So I could be, you know, at the college facility around, one o'clock for maybe a two o'clock practice and meetings and you know weightlifting and whatnot it, it becomes a very full day but in terms of football it's probably a you know a couple hours of meetings if that and a couple hour practice if that and you know maybe some weights I, I'd say four to five hours uh which is nothing compared to the NFL and that was a big eye-opener because you're going to class all day and it's a long day but it's separated into these segments of things that you know you have going on in your life when you get to the NFL it's full bore um just football all football all day long and uh you know that took some getting used to but to get back to your question like as far as the environments are concerned the winning environments um you know I, I really lean on I, what comes to mind is the culture is uh, is a strong culture, and it's a it's an understood culture if that makes sense. Like it's not necessarily they're not necessarily the exact same. Like every culture doesn't have to be the exact same, but there's a clear culture, and everyone within that group of 
players or whatever that team understands what the culture is. You know what I mean? Like he, the understanding of, of what, how, how we operate. Everyone gets that. And, and that, you know, symbiotic relationship, if you will, through it all, that, that makes teams good. That's what I feel like the best teams I've been a part of. I and mean, even, even through New England, like I was there for eight years and there were some ups and downs with good teams and bad teams. But when the teams that really come together with a strong culture with, you know, and when I say that, I think of accountability within the locker room, within, you know, player to player and just holding each other to a standard you guys set for each other, not because the coaches said it, not because you think you're supposed to do it, just because you guys, you know, have your own account- accountability system that you guys work extremely hard and you, you maintain that standard um, every day. And uh, those types of things, you know, not letting your brother slip, you know, understanding those hard days, but staying on each other in a, in a positive way. Uh, you know, I look back to some of those years and it would, uh, it was a friendly but competitive accountability that, you know, drove the culture. And uh, that made you really feel like you could rely on the guys, you know, that you went to war with every day. And uh, we're, a, we're a pack. We have our behavior norms. We're very clear what those are. How, what are right. Exactly. Very clear on what those are. And then those transition from, you know, we're in the weight room, making sure guys are getting every rep, every single exercise, not what we used to call pencil whipping. They just pencil whip their sheet and then throw it in the thing and then they'd be out of there in 10 minutes. It's like crazy. But uh, yeah, no, we, the accountability goes from that weight room to the field running that we're doing to practice. Um, you know, if you get that comfortableness and, and not criticizing, but you know, being able to get on your brother and say, like, I know that wasn't very good. Like, come on, man. You know what I mean? And you, you feel the comfort to say that because it started in the weight rooms. It started in the run groups. And then you take it to the field. And uh, you have that openness to be able to, you know, say something to somebody when you think they're not doing it to the ability that you know that they can do it at. And, you know, then that transitions, like I said, to the field, to the uh, – to the, the meeting rooms, if they're paying attention, the questions they're asking, um, you know, the answers to the questions, um, you know, that it's just becomes a part of everything that you do. And um, it gets the best out of everyone, but it also builds relationships because you, you're making guys a little uncomfortable, you're challenging them, but you know it's coming from a good place because. Uh, we all do it to each other, and it's, uh, you know, just trying to make us all better, you know. And, and like you said, it's understanding what we want from what we're doing and um, doing it to the best of our ability. So. There's a trust there, right? You've developed a trust, right? Sometimes yeah. you start off with trust, and then that gets worn down, and you lose that. You, you also, that's that, that trust, that's that currency you develop over time by actually moving forward with those actions. Sometimes it's the stuff you don't do, right? It's the stuff that you got to mentor guys to, to not do off the field. Is there an example of that where, where either, you know, as you're coming up through, uh, you know, a high performance team where one of the, uh, one of the older guys, one of the coaches, or one of your teammates pulled you aside and say, Nate, this is how we do things around here. You're like, no, no, I was always. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like I was always, but see, like I've always been one to understand like culture and I try to figure out how things are going down and, I don't want to be somebody that's a problem, you know? So I, I, I was never one that really had to have that conversation. Now I've had to, I've had as a veteran had to have that conversation with other guys, you know, whether like, you know, it's one thing to clown when we're in the locker room or, you know, even when we're stretching a little bit, but like, as like once the whistle blows and like I say, we're doing conditioning running, like, like if you're cracking jokes and, and, clowning off and you're in the back of the pack like you're you're not running hard enough right like and and i've had to say stuff in that i've had to say stuff in in meetings um you know but it's it's pretty much like you just said like look like this is how we do it around here and i'm i'm not calling you out to be you know mean Uh, i can think of other words to go there to be a jerk but 
look, like this is the standard. This is how we, we operate. And honestly, like I, I'm going to count on you. I need to count on you and I don't like what I see. And I'm just saying that to be honest, cause this is where our standard is and, and, and you're not listening right now. So like, come on, you know, and I, and I don't, like I said, I'm not trying to be mean, but, uh, and it doesn't take a lot of those and you don't have to be, like I said, uh, an arse about it, right. You can, you can do it, um, in a way that's respectful, but kind of stern. That's like, it just depends on the level of respect that you have also, like I've, I've been lucky enough to play like with the Pats, for instance, for, for as long as I had. And uh, at that point I was a pretty established veteran that if I said something like that, which I didn't say all the time, it, it was, there's a time and place, you know, you can't just be mouthing off all the time. It loses its value. But when I would say something like that, people would take me seriously because I've established that veteran um, status and uh, I don't say stuff like that often. So if I'm saying it, there's a reason for it. And like we just talked about, you build that that culture and people know it's trust it's love like i'm i'm not saying this to 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 tear you down but i want you to be where i know you can be and we're going to need to rely on you so we've agreed that these are our norms this is what we do in order to be the group that we want to be and so Mm -hmm. let's hold each other accountable as norms and there's a time and a place for certain things yep there's a time play there's a time for real intent uh, and let's agree to when those times those times happen. That's brilliant. And in general, don't be an arse. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep it clean for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, man. I mean, at the end of the day, like that culture though is big. And I, I, I've I've always been one that like leadership is not just like talking all the time because that that gets so played out. And when you're in the fire you know, there's no one giving speeches, like you're in the fire, you know what I mean? So um, just that establishing that culture and that standard for how you do things when you're tired, when, you know, things aren't going your way, when you don't feel right, when you had a bad play, like just all those things, uh, just understanding that you can fall back on your culture that you've built, like that, that makes stronger teams, man. That keeps, keeps people together when things aren't, aren't, aren't going well. And, uh, you know, I've been a part of other teams that as soon as things start to fall apart, you know, the finger pointing, the I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I get mine type of deal. Uh, the selfishness comes in and, um, and, and you, and you, you can see that that happens because the culture hasn't been established nearly to the strength that it has on some of those other teams. You know, on the flip side of that, right, because you've been on some teams that probably had, I mean, because every team has a culture, some teams that had probably some strong accountability with each other, but quite didn't the on-field performances that uh, you guys were hoping for. Uh, what, like, what was that, the 2007 or 8? Which was the year you guys were in? You, you did both the under-19s and under-20s, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I did two under-19s and one under twenty. I don't want to presume what the culture was or wasn't with that group, but it wasn't necessarily that you didn't get all the wins that you guys perhaps set out to get. And that, but but did you guys have, you know, going back to that concept of accountability with each other, clear behavior norms, was that something you guys had? I think, well, I mean, for instance, the first two junior world cups uh, was for me was 2006 and 2007. Those were both under 19s. And then my U20 was in 2008 in Wales. And the, and the U20, we had made it into the, the Pool A, so we were playing the best teams in the world. So that's kind of its own separate thing, right? To, to compare apples to apples, we were in the B Pool in 2006 and the B Pool in 2007. And um, I was really young in 2006, didn't play a whole lot. But when we talk about that culture, um, relative to that 2017 we had way more events uh, leading up to the World Cup for the 2017. Um, we got to play together a lot more. Um, we had more high-performance camps where the guys would come in and we would train and uh, you'd compete with your teammates. And that culture and those, the friendships and the bonds and um, – like we've, what we've been talking about this whole time, that relative or comparative to the 2006 team was night and day. And you go from losing every game in 2006 to, you know, getting out of pool B 
like being at the top of pool B and going to the pool A the next year because you did so well. And then, I mean, there were, yes, there were player changes. There's always player changes, but to be that drastic of a difference, what's, what's the change? It's, and there were some good players in 2006. I mean, James Patterson was still to this day, one of the better players I've ever been around, uh, especially at a young age. He had a massive impact on me, how I saw the game, but you know, the, the players are yeah they're good and in, in the bad whatever but the, the culture was the massive uh, difference maker in those two teams and, and shows in the results i just remember being in the locker room like we were playing russia and i think it was like tied at halftime or like like six to six like hamish made a pretty long kick to tie it up and it's like we wanted that win so bad and the way we came together to find it um you know, I just – that was, like, really my first moment with serious adversity in a, on a world stage where we kind of came together and uh, we, didn't, we didn't go the other direction. We didn't, oh, it's, you know, the pressure. Why aren't we winning? You know, it was, it was a cool moment. And, uh, again, it it's, comes back to you wanting to do it for your brothers, not wanting to do it for yourself. I think those are two massive things that um, are very different and can result in very different outcomes if you're playing for your brothers or playing for yourself. So. I love it. And defining what brothers means. You touched on this a little bit before, just what a typical day is for you. And, and I'm not sure folks understand, even people in high-performance sport, how hard you guys work in often trying circumstances, you know, when there's a lot of adversity, you're physically beat up. What does a typical like week look like for you as a, as a high performance athlete? What does a typical day look like for you? Well, are we talking about off season? Are we talking about training camp? Are we talking about regular season? I mean, all three. And I think regular season is probably most pertinent, especially for, you know, major league rugby as we're building the free jacks and performance environment going to be like, and how can Um, we what are expected? Well, I mean, I mean, it's uh, let's just go through a week, right? Yeah. Sunday, Sunday, you play the game, right? So Sunday's your game. Monday is a Sunday, like that's like physically challenging. That's emotionally very challenging. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes we'll play night games. Say it's an eight thirty game. The game isn't over till eleven thirty, twelve o'clock. But I've just taken so much caffeine and you know been so you know you know what i mean just juiced up from playing a, a football game thousands of bullets. Yeah. right right you don't you don't just go home and fall asleep by 12 30 people meditation yoga session in your sweet doesn't right so i mean i get i get home if i'm lucky at one you know game end at 11 30 12 if i get home by one or 1 30 that's lucky but I'm am not even close to coming down yet, right? So, I I usually don't go to sleep till about four four thirty in the morning when we play those night games. And heaven forbid we play across the country. Do you use any of the apps or anything to kind of slow down? You know, for a while there, that was the new it thing in high performance sport. Everybody was using meditation rooms and float chambers. And yeah, well, I I do those and during the week, but like the the moment. Um, you know, typically if we play a night game, I'm, I'm taking a nap in the afternoon. So I'm well rested. It's just like, I don't want to get my schedule too out of whack, but, um, and it just depends on the game. I mean, gosh, like some games you feel like you didn't do anything, you know how it is. And some games it feels like you just got hit by a bus and then ran over by a tractor. Like it, it just depends on how the game goes. That affects your sleep, that affects everything. And you know, so let's just say Sunday you play the game, regardless of whatever the sleep is, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's either our run groups are going to start in the morning on Monday at 11 o'clock, or if it's a late game, maybe it's one o'clock. Yeah. You guys so, go out as a team, catch up with your boys. After. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be, are you talking about after the game? Yeah. If there's time, uh, like say we played at one o'clock in the afternoon, if we can go, um, you know, have a drink or, or just to eat, even eat a meal um, together afterward and kind of watch the rest of the Sunday football games. Um, we'll do something like that. But, you know, the days where guys would go out and club, don't get me wrong, guys get after it. They do. But that's never been 
the majority of our team. So there's not like, I don't think a lot of that going on. It, it goes on, but not a lot. I mean, cause like you said, you're a professional athlete. And if I'm, I just played a football game, I spilled it, everything I had, you know, I'm going to yeah, well, I'll have a drink or something, but I'm going to go to sleep because the next day I got my run groups at 11, 12, whatever. Then we got to get our lift in to kind of flush the body out. Um, and then our meetings would typically start around two in the afternoon and we'd be in meetings watching the game film of what we just played the day before for about four hours. So from about, well, three hours, cause there's just a lot of conversation that takes place um, on every single play, what the communication was, you know, what went wrong or what went well. We don't spend a lot of time on what went well, you know, Oh, you did it right. How are you supposed to? Okay. Next play. Oh, this is terrible. Let's talk about this. So, you know, but yeah, we'll, we'll watch film from two to five or so and, and maybe get a brief look at an install for the team, the opponent of the next week. So that's what Monday is. It's a come in after the game, you run, you lift and you meet on the game. You just played for three hours. Um, it's really about recovery. Um, trying to get back as, as best as you can. Monday and Tuesday are that. You know, Tuesday is a player day off. It's a mandatory by the NFL, uh, the PA. You have to have a one day off a week. So a lot of guys will do what you talked about with those float tanks. That's the day to come in on your own time, you know, sleep in. Uh, like I like the lift on my day off because I thought it, I could get a better lift in and a better practice if I didn't did them on separate days rather than practice and lift in the same day. So I could get more out of each thing. So I like to lift on my days off and I could take my time. I wasn't rushed to get to meetings. It was much, much better quality. Um, like I said, stretching, if you had an injury in the game, you know, maybe you're getting some treatment in the, in the room. Um, you know, it's a player's day off, but typically I would go in on every Tuesday and I'd be in from, anywhere between nine or 10 in the morning and having breakfast. And I'd be there till three or four in the afternoon between my lift, between eating, between salt, uh, float tanks, um, you know, getting therapy, like some type of treatment or rehab, trying to maintain my body stretching. I mean, it goes on and on and that's, that's your off day. And then Wednesday or well, Tuesday night is spent preparing for the scouting report for the start of the preparation for the next game. And Wednesday is really that starting off point. And, you know, I would have had the scouting report in my iPad or playbook on Tuesday. I would have looked at it throughout the night because come Wednesday morning, we're in squad meeting right away. And Bill's going to start asking questions about the opponent. You know, you know, he'll like, for instance, I was on uh, the special teams where I'd call a lot of, I call the pump protections. So he'd say, Nate, what kind of rushes do you expect from this team? And I got a, I, in front of the whole team, I'm telling him, you know, I'm thinking this is a double loop team or, you know, they they like to, they like to hold up like whatever it is, you know, and I, I talk him through that and he knows his stuff. So he's gonna, you know, if you try to BS your way through some answers, he'll call you out. Um, so that accountability starts at the very top right there. You know, that's a good example of culture, what we talked about. You know, we're preparing for a team that's, you know, two and ten. And, you know, it doesn't hit – you know, Bill's going to come at you the same way as if it was an undefeated team because, you know, that's that's how we do it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good example of how that accountability starts at the top. We'll get those questions. And then that's when, like I said, the week really kicks off. You, you have meetings. The starting day would be probably about 7.30 in the morning on Wednesday. And then and that, you got to get your breakfast on your own and all that. That's when, like, you know, you're probably at the facility by 6.45. Um, and then, you know, fuel up, whatever, squad meetings. And you're basically in meetings till about almost noon. Right. So from about 6.45 or 7, whatever it is, to noon, you're in meetings. I typically go macro to micro, so. Yes, yes. And squad squad meeting to start. Bill shreds everybody on the preparation for the team. Then we'll go offense and defense. And then we'll go, you know, maybe back end, like safeties and linebackers and the D line will go together. And then the, then every, it just trickles down and then you'll go to DBs and then it can even go to cornerbacks and safeties. Like it definitely, um, 
definitely like that. So, and then you'll have a special teams meeting uh, right before uh, practice starts. You'll have that'll. So, like I said, you'll be out of meetings by about eleven thirty, twelve, and practice starts about twelve forty-five, one or so. You have about an hour to go get taped, to eat lunch, to go to the bathroom, to get stretched, to put your pads on. I mean, you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And um, then you get out to practice. It's a two-and-a-half, three-hour practice. You're back in by, let's call it, three three or so. And then you're watching film from practice from about 3 to 4.35. And if you have to lift or something, you might have had to get it right after practice before those meetings started or after all those meetings at 5 o'clock. Then you have dinner. And before you know it, it's six thirty, seven o'clock, and you're on your way home, totally exhausted. Um, and then you do the same thing on Thursday. You're doing, your, you're doing feedback right after the action happens. So you're in practice. You, you go through your repetitions that are well rehearsed. You're, you're tra- it's a performance. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you get mulligans in, in training. That was my observation. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you saw the very. If there was ever a time to get mulligans, it was in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it's uh, you're out there either holding your spot and saying this is why I'm the one doing this, or you're out there fighting to be like this is why I should be the one out here doing this. And there's no there's no complacency at all. I mean, you you get complacent and your job is gone. So doing everything. It's brilliant. And so Wednesday and Thursday are very similar days. The start of the week, the start of the hard practices, that's how New England did it anyway. Friday was kind of a lighter day, but same as far as meetings go, same as far as everything goes, uh, just uh, definitely no, no padded practice where you're, it's just a lighter day. You're not running as hard. And then Saturday is typically completely off feet, if anything, maybe a walkthrough. Okay. Um, and there's meetings – all morning, Saturday morning, uh, similar meeting schedule, like like we said, from 7.30 or 8 to, to noon. Um, but those meetings might go a little longer because that's all you're doing on a Saturday is meeting. You're not doing anything physical. So those might go to one. And then you have your walkthrough. And then you kind of have the rest of your day Saturday if you're not traveling. If you're traveling on an away game, boom, you're on the plane. You're going to whatever team you're playing. As you're going from Boston to San Diego, you're leaving typically the day before? Well, if we're playing – if we're going across country, sometimes we might leave, you know, two days before. We might leave on a Friday okay. uh, just to try to get acclimated. Those, those are tough, man. Those are real tough. The free jacks being on the road those first five weeks, that first season, yeah. that was the big debate is, all right, so we're not going to be out there for five weeks, but – we do two two-week chunks how are we going to manage that if we go out two days early is that going to help us it's tough to to do that but i mean i know a couple times throughout my career when we could go out west stay out west and then play another game out west because we were lucky the schedule worked that way we did stay yeah. um not you know fly to green bay and then fly back to boston and then fly to san diego and fly back like we went to green bay to san diego and you know one time we went to play the Broncos in Denver and then down to Mexico city. Like I remember that one. Sometimes you drew, you know, you try to stay out there, but that's what Saturday is. If you're traveling, it's a travel day. You know, it's a day before a game too. It's rough, rough duty is, you know, to, especially if it's more than a, it's not a conference game and you got to fly to, you know, Houston from Boston. That's a long one. You know what I mean? And you got to play the next day. So that stuff can get tricky, but essentially, Saturday's a meet day. Um, and then hopefully if you have a home game, you get to kind of chill at home with your family, your friends that came in for that game, uh, maybe grab dinner or something. But you're also in a hotel the night before the game. So, you know, by 6 o'clock, like I said, you're out on Saturday about 1. And then by 6 o'clock, you got to be back in. You got to be do your stuff with your family, and then you're back yeah. in the hotel, the team hotel, the night before. And then Sunday you wake up, and you play the game, and then it starts all over again, and you do it for about 20 weeks, it feels like. 
Sunday, you guys are you guys are in meetings leading up to the game, right? There's a pretty heavy. Uh, depends on it depends on the time of the game. If we're playing a one o'clock game, not not typically. It's like go get yourself prepared. You know, if it's an eight thirty game, yeah, we'll push Saturday night meetings back to Sunday morning rather than do everything Saturday night. Yeah. How do you keep yourself going along that grind? You know, throughout like what does being a professional mean? How, how do you manage that? I mean, I think it's different to everyone individually. Um, you know, at the end of the day, though, like there's a standard, and I've, we've said that quite a bit. But um, if you don't meet the standard, you're not. You just aren't going to last very long. And then, and that's in anything in life that if you want to be the top of the top of the top of what you do, you know, you got to be good and you got to be consistent. Consistency is as important as anything. Um, Showing up. I mean, you know, you know, the the mindset that we were all, we all taught, which is great is work works, right? Work really hard, but you still have to perform. You still have to execute. Right. I think that's a part of performance that isn't often talked about. And that's, you know, I've gathered that. Even that time guys it's it's about performing at the end of the day it's you're doing all these actions these behaviors in order that you can execute well i would say that to begin in in a football world you know there's a lot of stuff information you get before every play before the ball is snapped um you whether it be the player you're playing against or the formation that they're showing you um you know i can get a lot of information and that can help me in what you're talking about which is the ultimately production and for me to have as much production as i can i need to make tackles i need to make my blocks i need to you know do well and when being a step ahead and knowing what my opponent's going to do kind of knowing what whatever I see, I recognize this and I know how to beat this because I recognize it. That preparation ultimately allows me to then have that production. But I don't necessarily, you know, they don't, they're not, it's not guaranteed just because I'm prepared doesn't mean I'm going to be 100% right and I'm going to have that success. And if I did nothing, some sometimes my best plays are the ones I just don't even know what's happening, but I go balls to the wall. You know, it it doesn't. But I would say from a percentage standpoint, uh, probability, the most likely success I have is when I am prepared and I do recognize things. You know, it it, it depends on what phase of the game you're in, especially for me as a pump protection caller. Like I really want to know what the other team's doing because I I want to like. I want to put us in the best position to protect the, the punt uh, because block punts change games. I mean, they just do. Like, yeah. the quickest way to lose a football game is give up a block punt. And, you know, I like like what we're talking about, my teammates rely on on me to get that right, you know, and I'm and I'm trying to put us in the best position to to protect that punt and um, you know, so that culture drives me to want to know exactly what I'm up against and I'm going to put the time in because the culture drives it because I want to do it for my team to make sure like, yeah, look, we're going to be, we're going to win Sunday and it's, and it's going to because the unit I'm on is going to handle this stuff. And, um, you know, that, that starts through the culture, you know, that's, that starts with, you know, like I said, from the coach down to your teammates driving that I want to be good for my teammates. And then I study and prepare. But like you said, there's that physical side of it where when the lights come on, you got to handle your business too, right? I mean, you can that, – that's the difference between coaches and players, right? The coaches know what to do, but they can't go out and do it. And that's the difference, like, right? And – there's there's an aspect to that that you have to tap into emotionally spiritually your self-confidence you know all of that needs to be riding in a place where you kind of feel like a i like to say like a dog like like you don't you're a bad dude that you don't want that's not going to get messed with and not, not today you know what i mean and all those things culminate and that's to me that's what being a professional is is it's it's doing all of these things so you can just 
and you can just hit it in full stride when it comes time to go. Mm. And it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, I could I could not sleep good the night before a game because I want to do some BS with playing, let's say, play video games till three in the morning. Okay, that's cool. But now I'm affecting my potential performance. You know, I don't care enough in that in that example. I that's that's how I see it. You know, I'm I could not study really, but then I don't care enough about my teammates because either I'm I'm selfish or the culture in this team has not driven me to want to have that preparedness for my teammates right to go through like is the what is the cause and effect but what is what caused that what caused that what caused that what caused that and that usually gets the source of the problem right so you're staying up late to play video games why because something else happened because something else happened Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we fail to look at you know the kaizen five whys why did that happen why did that happen why did that happen and so forth to get to the actual source why our behaviors are such that's a really good point yeah i mean at the end of the day, though, like to be a professional, uh, like you are part of that driving that culture. And, you know, I could sit here and give credit to the culture for driving me. But at the same time, I'm part of that culture because I'm driving it as well because I'm going to know my stuff and I want my team to be fully prepared and I'm not afraid to call a guy out. I'm not. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I know what I need to know going into to, to Sunday. I'm doing everything I can to be at my best level for everyone else. And, and in a way, I'm driving that culture as well, as it's driving me. It's a, it's a give and take right there. So, but that's what being a professional is. It's, it's honestly doing every possible thing that you can to do the best you can when the lights come on. And that just doesn't – it doesn't just kind of happen, you know, like it, it does in, in, in random moments, but the majority of the time it doesn't, the majority of the time you don't feel perfect. The majority of the time you don't know exactly what the other team, you know, is doing just naturally. You, you've had to have studied to get there. You know, the majority of the time you're up against some real dogs that get paid too. Right. Um, so you gotta, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about gaining every single tiny edge that you can on your opponent to when, the, like I've been saying, the lights come on, you're ready to, to, to get it in. I love it. Gritty down. Yeah, so, you know, like the experiences we've been through, kind of the prelude of building a world-class sports entertainment organization, right, and getting our folks on and off the field and everywhere to perform – you know, we've had we've had players come in and coaches come in, and part of their education has been getting them to understand what it actually takes to be a professional. And I think there's been some surprises, and and in just my experience with USA Rugby and in other areas, those co- even the coaches who are who are quite successful um, with generally wins and losses, but also longevity in the sport and everything else, they're willing to do that kind of work um, that, that, that you alluded to earlier. And there is a bit of competitive edge there that just keeps them going throughout that. But there's a massive accountability to their players, to their fellow coaches, to the community in that process that is, that is really, really important. And, you know, so you've, you've been on the playing side so much. What would, we, what would you advise our organization as we move forward through this in terms of how we identify um, players that kind of have that mindset? Are we, are, or is the expectation as we train them to have that mindset or is it going to have to be iterative? So let's start with that first bit about kind of identifying how, how would we go about that? Well, I definitely think it can be trained. Um, you know, I, I'll get into the nature versus nurture all day, but it can be trained. I mean, I thought I was a very disciplined, hardworking dude. And, you well, know, yeah. the, the, the Patriots showed me even more so what that really means. Yeah. And I had to go to the next level for it. And yeah. I learned, and now it's kind of just who I am. I've done it so long. But I wasn't like that at first. It wore me out my first couple of years. It wore me out, man. But I, I started to understand it, you know. And, yeah, you can, you can definitely teach it. It's tough, man, because I think about, like, what you're talking about. And, and there's big money on the line. The NFL is extremely competitive. Like, I mean, as competitive as it gets, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player. And – there's, there's life-changing financial situations on the line that, um, I mean, that's probably a big 
driver in, in people's work ethic, right? Um, you wonder what it would be like if you took all that away, right? Um, so that, that's how do you drive it without that type of money yet, hopefully, right? Look at the Olympic movement then. You've been a part of that side of things, right? Yeah. Where it's not that it's not a cash cow uh, you know it's not a, this is going to set me up for life this is going to be hopefully a world-class experience right a better human for it and hopefully help the world have better humans because of it right, right. Um, so the motivation perhaps is slightly different it's different but it's the same in my mind right like you're an olympian now because you grinded through this you are an olympian and no one can take that from you like you will forever be an Olympian that represented your country. Like that's special. Yeah. You don't get to say that about a lot of stuff. Like the financial stuff, that's special. I think you need to find one, the motivation within the unit. But aside from that, you know, how do you, how do you see the players? I mean, I think you can do as best as you can to like, I think when you brought that up, I thought about the NFLs and, and the scouting you know, when I was in college, the interviews you do with the NFL scouts and you're like, whoa, you know, like it's, it feels overwhelming at first, but now being on the other side of it, it's, it's kind of funny, but you know, they, they probe you, they ask questions, but at the end of the day, you to really see what guys are about, um, you got to put them in the, in the meat grinder and see which ones come out. Right. Um, and that's that's tough because you want to get the best ones before you put them in there. But um, you know, I think it, it also draw. It, I think like for instance, like myself when I got drafted with New England, I, I think throughout Ohio State, I had a pretty good reputation as a hard worker. You know, and you know that's what kind of Bill wanted. That's what the model is, anyways, in New England is hard workers that put the team first type of deal and. I kind of already had that reputation through Ohio State, which so so when they ask about Nate Ebner, they're probably going to get this this kid's a hard worker, right? And and that's coming from the Jim Trestles of the world or or Mike Vrabel, right? So that holds a little bit of weight. Um, you know, I guess I would say I would I would ask these wherever these kids are coming from that you were scouting, I need to ask their coaches about them, the people that know them that have been around them you know like let let me let me hear what they have to say about him yeah and i think that would probably speak to a lot about the players i mean you're going to get guys that are going to fluff every one of their players but at the same time you know you'll get some truth out of that too before you even really get to work with that player but you say like some resumes you look at and they've been on a different team every year for the last five years is that you know because even in the nfl you see that is that a fair assessment that the perhaps they just haven't found the right place to stick and the right culture to be a part of and build, or they, there's some other reason there. Like even a long time, uh, Pat's guy, you know, Pat has been a long time Pat's guy. There's, you see, you see a lot of that. Like there's obviously a motivation there. And, um, is that, is that an identifier for us? Or? I think, I think in a, in a way I, I hate to write someone off who just didn't have, you know, they were the 53rd or 54th man and they were getting cut right at the end and they worked really hard, but for whatever reason, the roster didn't work out the way that it did and they got cut, but they're a good player. So they got into camp with another team or, you know, I hate to write any of those guys off because yeah. there's those guys, but then there's also the guys that he was a first round draft pick and he's been on five teams. Okay, why, what's up with that, right? The physical attributes, he can right. right? Now, 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 I'm, now, I'm, now I'm starting to ask questions. You're the first-round draft pick. You should be wanted, you know, look at what just happened with Mahomes. The kid just signed for the whole world, the, the whole U.S. economy. <laughs> like, but he, uh, you know, if you're a first-round draft pick, the team should want to retain you for as long as they possibly can. Why is this first-round draft pick bouncing around teams? This second-round draft pick bouncing around teams? This draft pick bouncing around teams? Um, that should raise questions, but I think you can find those answers. You know, I think you can really look into uh, – if you really get into the film, um, you can see that if you look at the roster specifically, you can see this was a clearly a roster situation, or if you look at behavioral issues that come up, this is clearly a behavioral issue. Um, you know, 
So I think you can find those answers, but ultimately, you know, try, trying to fill your team with as you got, I think you need to establish what that culture is, right? What you want it to be. And like, if you can really put it into words, kind of as build it like the signs on the door that we, you saw, right? This is what our team is about. You're going to do your job. You're going to work hard. You're going to put the team first. And you're going to be attentive when you're in this building. And that's really like, like if you can put it to words and talk about it like that, and then it always comes back to those things, like that's awesome. You also have the exit poster, right? Which is huh? just, you also have the exit poster, right? You, have yes, the- and you also have the exit, exit poster, yeah. which has, has its things as well, you know? Um, like speaking for yourself, yeah. you know, don't, don't believe the hype, all, the, all those things. So, the, like the when you can put the culture into the words like that and you can find people that buy not only not only fit the culture but i mean there's plenty of dudes that i did not think were that type of a culture person but they buy in because they want to be a part of a championship team and they when they see at the end of the day you know most guys when they see if there's a hundred guys in the locker room and 99 of them are doing it one way, they don't want to be the one guy that's like, no one wants to be the one guy, right? They, you know, you don't want to be the one guy ever. It's the, it's a problem when everyone's doing it one way. So uh, it's, it's give and take, like we've been talking about, it goes together. The players drive it, but you need to be able to outline it and you can get players that aren't necessarily fit the mold, but they'll, they'll buy in, you know, some will and some won't. Um, but I think it's, it can definitely be learned. To, to come full circle here, culture can be learned for sure. Uh, and, and taught, right, which is which as important. And there's some keys there. So I hope he's just – I know we're cognizant of time, but let me talk a bit about transition, right? So, it's all right. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, like, how does is, how is transition work? So, like, when I was – I was playing and, you know, playing for the U S and then I started to coach a little bit. I was able to grab a hold of a few mentors that really helped me. You know, coach Phillips was one of them. Um, at the time I was able to go manage a, a U.S. trip and really just learn the finer details of, of that side of the business. You're obviously transitioning here. You transitioned quickly from football back to rugby, rugby back to football. Now you're transitioning to another team. You've never been in that locker room. Like, how does that, like, how do you make that work? Um, yeah, I mean, from going from one team to another, you know, from going from the the Patriots to, you know, the rugby team, um, you know, I think everyone goes about it their own way. For me, um, you know, I try to I try to go out with a very like just hum- like humble approach in the sense that, like. I will gain your respect through my work. I don't have anything really to say. I'm a, I, I'm not, I'm not like a mean hearted, hearted person that's out here to cut anybody down or take their job. But, you know, I'm also a dog too, that you're going to, you're going to want on your team by the end of this. Um, but you'll, you'll see through my work and through time, I will gain your trust and your respect. And, and that's kind of how, I went about the rugby thing too, because especially when I got there, you know, the media was like, you know, we had to release statements. I remember talking to you about that. And it was like, you know, it just, it just kind of, I got some attention that in my opinion, like it, at first it was okay. Cause I understand, you know, you're going from the NFL to, to go on to play rugby in the Olympics and like, no one's doing that. So it's like, I get that. But the, over time it was like, look, like I haven't earned this attention. And then you've got guys who have made this sevens team what it is, who have worked extremely hard over the past four years to just even qualify to become one of the better teams in the world. And then here I am showing up out of nowhere and they're the ones they're, they're all over me to interview me. Like, and I, and I know that's gotta be like rub guys the wrong way because I see it the same way in my locker room. Like I see the guys that are the ones that really make the impact in the locker room. And then the ones that are getting interviewed and it's like, like that guy doesn't have anything to like do with it. You know what I mean? Like the media doesn't get it. Empathy. That, that, that's an empathy that you had in that moment, which is pretty fantastic and a maturity that I'm not sure everybody always has in those situations. And well, I was lucky. I'm lucky enough to kind of see it from the side I've seen it from in, in the NFL. But at the same time, I sit there and I've watched the rugby, the boys have success over all these years and what they've done. And, 
just dreaming that like we qualified for the Olympics so that maybe I could get a chance, you know, if, if I hadn't made it in the NFL for a year or two, I would have been on that team trying to help qualify. Yeah. But my NFL career actually had some success. So then it was like, well, I couldn't qualify. And then they did qualify. And then it's like, you know, if I, my NFL career got cut short, I would have gone there to, to yeah. play on the series. Love that. <laughs> but like, eventually it got to a point where I wanted it so bad. I wanted to be a part of that team, but I had to put the football on hold. But I think about, like I said, I got there and I'm getting interviewed and these guys are the ones who did the work. I, I just, that really bothered me and I tried to be as humble as I could about it and talk about them as much as I could because they're the ones who got us where we were and I was far away from making that team when I first got there and you know I just tried to praise them as much as I could and take my time with it and earn their trust and respect through my work every day my consistency um, you know my consistency in my emotions my consistency in my work ethic my consistency with how I approach everything that we did and um, and I think I earned it. And I think the same thing with the, when I go to the New York Giants. Like, I, I'm in a different position because I'm a little bit more of a veteran in this league, especially with a team that's a bit younger. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to kind of get out of my comfort zone and kind of take a leadership role in a place that no one really knows me. And I've had to do that throughout the spring um, a little bit. But, you know. Yeah. to that, Nate? Do say that? Is there a vulnerability to that? Are you going to have to be a bit more vulnerable than than you normally are? Is there a... Well, yeah, because people just don't know you yet, you know, and you can't really care. You know, I, I don't want to I don't want to rub people the wrong way because once they get to know me, they'll realize, like, I'm not malicious, but I, I can be a bit aggressive. But I want the best for everyone around me. But I, if that means I got to get in your ass a little bit, that's what it means. It's not because I'm being, you know... Yeah. A hardo. I just, I'm just. That's how. That's how we get from point A to point B because the fastest, not not by me patting you on the back. Right. So, you know, yeah, a little bit in a sense. I'll have to. I'll have to be vulnerable in the sense that I can't really worry about hurting people's feelings or, you know, maybe they're gonna be like, "Who's this guy? I think he is?" Like, I can't worry about that stuff. I, I gotta go about my business like I always have. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a li- be a little bit more of a veteran, so it'll be a. a a, a situation where I'm going to just have to take that leadership role. But, you know, the one thing I will say is in New England, the turnover, I've told you before, it's like a revolving door, man. The amount of players that I've seen come in and get cut, get workouts, get cut uh, every year, rookies, you know, like it's new. It's a new team every year, even when I spent eight years in the same with the same team. And that I work with new guys all the time, especially being a special teams player. You know, you don't get long-term special teams players like myself and Matthew Slater very often. So you're working with new guys all the time. So in that world of things, um, you know, it's nothing new. It's just a new team, right? It's a new uniform. But um, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll come together and we'll, we'll make our unit. And, um, like, we're only as good as the culture that we build with each other. And that's, that's what we got to do. And I got to start driving so just yeah, just curious, like as you've mapped out, obviously you've been totally focused on on, on being successful in the NFL, which you know those careers end um, you know, for for most people three years and shorter if they ever make it. You've been there what nine? This will be your tenth year, ninth year. This will be nine. This will be nine. Yeah, unbelievable. That's awesome. And uh, the Olympics along the way, which is just absurd. It's not going to last forever, right? You know that, and you and I have talked about that for years. What you know, you got you get. Five years from now, kind of magic wand it. What does that look like? Well, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? If, if, I, if I was blessed enough to continue to play, um, you know, I, I, go, I go about the football year by year type of thing, so I don't really like to look that far ahead. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say there's no, no chance in, in hell that I'd, I'd play another five years, but that would put me at 13, which isn't really unreasonable. Um, so I'm not going to write that completely off and I never say never, but, uh, I don't, I'm also realistic about m- how my body is and, and the future I want to have and the family I want to have and, you know, what I've already done and, um, you know, how much I want to beat myself up. Right. So, uh, you know, it's like I was saying, it's funny you asked me that because I've been, I've been time off 4th of July and spent a lot of time with my family and my brother had some conversations about like, what do you want to do after football? And, 
you know, to me, like I really think about life as like, hopefully I can get myself in a situation, um, you know, ultimately it's, it'll, it'll be a financial situation, right? Like you're, you're either in a, in a financial situation where you're like, you're totally comfortable in the, in the sense that uh, going forward, you have enough money to live the way that you want to live. And I can go about my life in whatever I, way I want. I can, um, you know, go about passion projects, doing things I love every day, spending my days how I, how I want to spend them. And I can, I can do that. And I can totally see why people do that because at the end of the day, like what is life about? It's about doing stuff you love or is it about trying to get as much money as you can? I, you know, so like that, that's the, that could go that way. But yeah. then like on the other side of that, you know, to me, like there's levels to this whole thing. And if, you know, if you have X amount of money to not just, you, I guess you could either maintain your, your, your living and, and go about your passion projects. Um, and I could get just a regular job and start a career and just kind of like maintain my, my living standard or, I could do something that's kind of like that's a level up. Yeah. Like a play that's this is the type of thing that takes you from whatever you've made here now you're at a next level. Not just making a little bit more money but like really leveling up. And yeah. that's something that kind of interests me like you know there there's a lot of money out there and there's a lot of people doing some big things and and I'm I'm a real believer that if I can see the path to it i can do it it's just seeing it and um that really interests me not because i'm chasing money but because i'm passionate about seeing what i can achieve more or less it's not even about that you know and but what, what comes with that is like i said a, a next level financially that you know say what you want um from my experiences being around mr craft going to israel with with the billionaire i mean I'm not saying be a billionaire, but you know what I mean? Like experiences in life are different when you financially are at a next level like that. And, and, and they just are and there. And you experience the world a different way when you, when you do things and that stuff's cool. So you only play for teams that are red, white, and blue. So given that, given that's the goal, when are you shooting up for the free jets? <laughs> Most important. Hey man, who knows? It could be, we'll, we'll see what happens with the, the COVID situation. We'll see uh, what happens with the football season, but um, I'm not. I'm not against that at all. Especially if the the legs are feeling good, man. Throw me out there. In our centers, you can play anywhere. You can be a prop. Be great. Uh, I don't know about. I don't think I could be a prop. <laughs> Come on, you're getting so old. You could. Come on. Okay, couple quick, couple quick ones for you. Rapid fire. You ready? We'll see. Favorite movie you watched recently that stuck with you? Ford vs Ferrari. Do I get to say why? Yes. Why? Because it gave me an appreciation for elite driving. And now I'm like really into Formula One and like race car driving because I see like all the intricacies of what it is. But Ford vs. Ferrari was a fantastic movie. Who in the NFL could, uh, could beat a Grizzly in a fight with no weapons? No one. No <laughs> Nobody. No shot. Nobody. Zero people. They got to they gotta beat a Grizzly in a fight or just escape one? They got to beat a Grizzly in a fight. We don't have any Navy SEALs. You just got some big, fast, strong people, but they don't know how to fight, man. Most of them don't know anything. <laughs> um, what's your favorite Free Jacks merch? I got to go with the hats because I'm a big hat guy. I'm wearing it right now. I'm still waiting on that bucket hat. That bucket hat looks fire, though. I'm ready for that. What's something you've never done but you want to try? I would say bungee jump or skydive one of those probably skydive actually but i don't know if i really want to do that but it seems like god it'd be crazy to do okay last one for me you right if you're running the free jacks today what are you focused on culture that's it i'm in there every day kind of watching operations between the workout groups the run groups the the meetings how everything is going that's where i'm putting my energy first um because one one bad apple yeah. can, can spoil the whole thing. So I, I want to see how we're driving each other uh, and, and what that accountability looks like and what that standard we set for ourselves look like and, and you know, determine if it's where it needs to be or it needs to, to go up. That's where I put my focus. I love it. It's brilliant. Nate, it's been fantastic to have you. 
So good. We're going to have to do round two here pretty soon because there's so many. We got plenty of time right now. (laughs) We'll see what happens with the football season. I want to do round two. I'm down. Let me know. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Full Contact CEO. Next week, I have a very special guest, author of the international bestseller, Teach Like a Champion. I have learned so much about coaching, being a manager, even being a parent from the great work of Doug Lamov. We have a great conversation about focusing on coaching, teaching, learning, knowledge transfer, and building a high-performance culture that emphasizes individual development of the staff, coaches, and players, even the front office. It's a super interesting, fresh perspective on the business of sports and media. You don't want to miss this.